two households, both alike in dignity in fair Verona where we lay our scene. Well, not alike exactly and not in Verona either. See, these two families were positioned in a place we know as Eden. Even before the story started, these two families departed. They diverged and went a new way. See, there was meant to be one family, one motto, one coat of arms, one banner, which in the cool breeze of day swayed. They went off course, of course. They decided to pick what was right and what was wrong. They bought the lie that if they bit what was forbidden, they'd be God forgetting that was the thing they were made in the image of. You see, they were made to have a place. They were made to have rule. They inherited a kingdom and were going to have command over it all. They were made to be together. Because the name he gave them, it was Adam. And what that name means is, well, human. And humanity was not complete until God said, go on, let's make two of them. But... They chose to, hang on, we'll get it back. (laughs) They chose a long diversion. They forgot their design. They turned blessing to perversion. They ignored their maker's mind. And then ashamed, they tried to cover up their inadequacies with leaves and parting fronds. Before the race even started, they departed, walked away from the starting blocks. And that planted a seed. A seed also called an heir, an heir to the serpent of sinful nature, of those overreaching into the air when they were given the whole earth. But now, like beasts, were left scrabbling, grappling, grabbing in the dirt. See, they couldn't help but following the family of their foe. They'd cry to Yahweh of their iniquity, and Yahweh said, I know. And he came down, he stepped into their midst. He said, did you think I couldn't hear you? Did you forget that you're my kids? And then Yahweh did the impossible. He signed the adoption papers for the world. He said, that curse of being sin beasts has been utterly unfurled and completely discarded and thrown away. And what's more, he said, there's a way you can live that as if it's true today. See, we have more connecting this than the rest of the world has got. We are the grapes, and he is the vine, which I guess means we should taste like wine a lot. We should have a certain bouquet. We should have a certain taste. I get not everybody likes wine. I don't, but I hope you see what he's trying to say in this place. It's not just that he is father. We are sons and daughters too, and there's a way that we can live that as if we believed it, as if it were true in this place today. We can live like we are loved and love one another like we believe those words in red. And if we do, the second family might see his face, just like he said. Stay with what you heard from the beginning, the original message. Let it sink into your life. 
If what you heard from the beginning lives deeply in you, you will live deeply in both Son and Father. This is exactly what Christ promised. Eternal life, real life. I've written to warn you about those who are trying to deceive you, but they're no match for what is embedded deeply within you, Christ's anointing no less. You don't need any of their so-called teaching. Christ's anointing teaches you the truth on everything you need to know about yourself and him. Uncontaminated by a single lie. Live deeply in what you were taught. And now children, stay with Christ. Live deeply in Christ. Then we'll be ready for him when he appears. Ready to receive him with open arms, with no cause for red-faced guilt or lame excuses when he arrives. Once you're convinced that he is right and righteous, you'll recognise that all who practice righteousness are God's true children. What marvellous love the Father has extended to us. Just look at it. We're called children of God. That's who we really are. But that's also why the world doesn't recognise us or take us seriously because it has no idea who he is or what he's up to. But friends, that's exactly who we are, children of God. And that's only the beginning. Who knows how we'll end up? What we know is that when Christ is openly revealed, we'll see him and in seeing him become like him, all of us, who look forward to his coming, stay ready with the glistening purity of Jesus' life as a model for our own. All who indulge in a sinful life are dangerously lawless, for sin is a major disruption of God's order. Surely you know that Christ showed up in order to get rid of sin. There is no sin in him, and sin is not part of his program. No one who lives deeply in Christ makes a practice of sin. None of those who do practice sin have taken a good look at Christ. They've got him all backward. So my dear children, don't let anyone divert you from the truth. It's the person who acts right who is right just as we see it lived out in a righteous Messiah. Those who make a practice of sin are straight from the devil, the pioneer in the practice of sin. The Son of God entered the scene to abolish the devil's ways. People conceived and brought into life by God don't make a practice of sin. How could they? God's seed is deep within them, making them who they are. It's not in the nature of the God begotten to practice and parade sin. Here's how you tell the difference between God's children and the devil's children. The one who won't practice righteous ways isn't from God, nor is the one who won't love brother or sister. A simple test. For this is the original message we heard. We should love each other.
My name's Rich. Um, I've been a member of the church for a little over a decade now. Um, there's currently three generations of my family here, and for now we're going to leave it there. <laughs> my wife Emma and I run a connect group here in South Breton, and if you're not part of a connect group, I really encourage you to join one. Because life is uh, complicated, difficult, but I think in some ways, in lots of ways, it's made better by sharing with other amazing people. Now, I've got some props this morning. Bear with me. We have some marbles. They shake around, they're completely independent things. They bump against each other, not really caring who's there or not. If you take them away, they're not particularly missed. If they drop on the floor, then they'll just scatter everywhere. And here I have some grapes. Similar. <laughs> Similar in size and shape, but there's a key difference. When one drops away, you can see where it was. It has a space. Uh, they're not jostling for position. If one goes bad, it's a warning sign that the rest will be going bad. But they share the same fate. Now that for me was an image of how family life should be and how we should be in the church. Before I go on, I'm sure you're bound to remember the challenge I set you the last time I spoke about uh, reminding ourselves, finding ways to remind ourselves to live for God and worship God every day and surround ourselves with God's word. That challenge only two years ago. <laughs> well, my challenge that I set myself was I'm a bit of a pretentious coffee drinker. Um, and I chose that the time when I was making a coffee and letting the kettle boil, turning the handle of my hand coffee grinder would be a moment away from the computer screen to stop, breathe, and refocus on God. And that worked great until the grinder broke. <laughs> And it just doesn't take as long to press the button on the automatic coffee grinder. <laughs> My point is that life changes. Our circumstances change. And it's much easier to slip out of good habits than it is to break bad ones. And so we need each other. And that leads us into the title this morning, Living as Children of God. And the key verse I want to pull on, which is 1 John uh, 3, verse 1. And it says this, it's from the ESV. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. See, and that, that word means really know and possess the love that Father has freely given to us. There's no strings attached, no expectation. God has just given us this thing that we can own, that we can possess. And the phrase at the end there, and so we are, it's not an uncommon word in the Greek. It appears quite a lot, but it is, in the Greek Old Testament, the word that God uses when he's speaking to Moses, explaining who he is. I am who I am. I exist, God says. <coughs> and so we exist. Who we are is God's children. But what does that really mean? 
the Bible tells us that we have a hope of eternal life, an eternal inheritance. It tells us that we have a good and loving Father and that we have a big brother in Jesus. These are words maybe that don't necessarily mean the same to everybody. I'm incredibly privileged to be brought up in a loving, stable home. So to me, the idea of a good father works. I've got two loving parents who have disciplined and guided me, and I know they delight in me. And I can relate to Jesus as a big brother looking out for me. I've got a brother and a sister, both older than me, who I always got on with. They didn't always get on with me, but no one's perfect. But we share interests. We've had a life together. We're there for each other, and we care, even when we don't like each other, and even when we don't agree. But I want to acknowledge this morning that for some people, that isn't the same. You may have been let down, left behind, disappointed and hurt, and there's nobody there to help when you needed help. And days like today and Mother's Day may invoke a pain, a sadness, a grief over what you may have lost, or what you may not have yet. There may be confused emotions that you can't quite explain. And this can be true either in our biological family or even in the church family too. We may never truly know what each other is going through and what they've been through and what they're facing now, even those closest to us. But I believe this morning that God just wants to show us something of what he meant family to be. As we've been looking at 1 John, we see John circle around these ideas we've seen over the last few weeks of light and love and life. And he uses that technique called amplification. And David shared a couple of weeks ago that great idea of the spiral staircase, the statue in the middle, and seeing it from different angles. But so it is with the entire Bible. We see themes that are set up in Genesis that are repeated and built on through every page. It's as if someone had an overall idea of how these books and letters might work together. But the Bible presents us over and over again with God's ideal of how we are designed to live and how we are supposed to function in close relationship with him and in joint rulership over creation with him. Every story circles around how we constantly fail to meet these ideals. The cycle continues until Jesus shows up as our big brother and gives himself to fulfill the requirements of the law to help us reach those ideals and to bring us back to our Father. Now we know that families are not straightforward and often are far from ideal. As I have been blessed with such a great model of family life, and that's not... Uh, that's supposed to be serious. <laughs> my desire has always been to provide the same for my family, to be the best husband and father that I can be, but I miss the mark every day. Now some of you will know, others won't, that I became a parent the day I got married. I have three beautiful, intelligent and kind children, a girl and two boys, but my eldest Abigail is adopted. Her dad died suddenly, shortly before her first birthday. On the 20th of May, 2014, I adopted Abigail. 
and she became my daughter. Now, she has a new birth certificate with my name on it. And I want to stress, in this instance, it wasn't about wiping away her past. That's still very much a part of who she is and who we are as a family. But it was about bringing her into a new family. For her to be a part of what we were becoming together. For us, moving into God's family, our past does need to be wiped away and cleaned. As we move into a new life with a loving father and with a big brother who gave it all for us on the cross. And what a great symbol of our faith. It stretches up to God and down to us, but it also reaches out to each other. So what does it mean to live as children of God? Like the grapes, we're supposed to be connected to each other. To share our lives with each other. And surrounded by and connected. But not surrounded by everybody. You don't have to be there for every person in this uh, building. We kind of max out at five or so close relationships. But we should pay attention to who they are. What those relationships are and be intentional about it. To set time to invest in each other. And then we'll start to encounter Jesus' love through each other. In Hebrews 10.24, it says, Let us consider how to stir each other up to love and good works. And in that stirring up, the King James translates that word as to provoke. And I really like that, to provoke one another, to incite and to motivate, and to have an others-centered point of view looking out for their well-being, their good, with no other agenda. Now, for me, in the past weeks, past few weeks alone, I've met up with someone that I meet regularly, who prays with me and speaks into my life. I've met with a close friend and shared things that are on my heart. I've been confronted about things in my life. I've been encouraged by friends on the things that I do that bring me joy. I've built on existing friendships prayed for and encouraged others and had the chance to share interests and experiences. These are friendships that I would never have had outside of this church family. Brothers and sisters that add such tremendous value to my life. We're family and we need to be in this together. But like my coffee grinder breaking, sometimes um, things in life change and cause bad habits to slip. And life is complicated and sometimes more broken than we like to admit. 1 John 3.16 says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Adam wasn't complete without Eve. And I'm not talking about marriage. I'm talking about community and family. With Jesus looking out for us, showing us how it's done, and God delighting in us and delighting in us sharing our life together. Just yesterday, I was out for a walk with my family, and the kids were running off, and one of them was lagging behind, and they stopped and they waited for him to catch up. And that really spoke to me, and that delighted my heart to see my children behaving like that and looking out for each other. Not always the case. But I know that God delights in us when we are there for each other. 
because that's how he intended family to be. So who are you investing in? Hopefully you've seen this card that's on your chair or around your seats. Um, so I, I'm a designer and uh, I don't know what my job really is. Um, but I sometimes try and use this positioning statement and it helps me get a feel for my client. So I get them to think about it and fill it out and I think they often find it very helpful. Um, when you have to kind of intentionally think about who you are, who you're serving. And I think it's a great tool individually too. And I'm not talking necessarily about your job or even a role in the church, but it's about your whole life. And it might be that you need to write the statement out in several different ways, because we each have different aspects to who we are. So for me, as a father, I might, tie, uh, might put in that I help my tribe, my family, to grow with good understanding of the world by investing time with them and talking honestly with them and encouraging them to read the Bible so that they can grow up safely and develop their own deep relationship with God. As a friend, I help the people close to me by investing time uh, so that they know that someone's got their back. As a follower of Jesus, I help myself by reading the Bible and staying close to God keeping myself accountable and growing in my faith. And there's some questions on the other side. And I want you to just take some time with this. You can fill it in today, that'd be fantastic, but keep thinking about it through the week. First question is, the name of someone that God may be laying on your heart to connect with today. I believe that even if no one springs right to mind, if you take a bit of time Stay still for a moment and ask God. I think he'll press somebody on your heart. The next question is, what are you good at? What brings you joy? What makes you happy? It could be cooking, cleaning, decorating, reading, singing, playing an instrument, walking, writing poetry. Painting, running, swimming, throwing a frisbee, taking, talking about wildlife, listening to 90s pop music, sewing, drawing, playing football, watching Formula One, going to the theatre, making paper aeroplanes, photography, programming, running errands for other people, roasting coffee. Whatever it is, figure out what God has wired you for. If you're not sure, that's okay. Take some time and think about it and ask God. Maybe ask other people as well. What is it other people see in you? How can you include others in your interests, in your passions? Make a decision to be courageous and invite somebody to share something with you, with them. There might actually be more people that share your interests and your passions than you think. And you're building shared experiences together. On the flip side, be prepared to be involved in other people's interests and passions, even if it doesn't interest you. Invest in that relationship because we're being others-focused and building experiences together. I think our greatest outreach to the world around us is our overflow. Other people will see how we're treating each other
And finally, I really want to just try and share a feeling of excitement about the Bible. It's a fantastic book. It's not straightforward a lot of the time. And at the bottom of the card, there's some other resources that I've been trying to use lately. And I particularly would highlight the Bible Project. You'll have seen the overview videos sometimes that we've used here. But they've got a podcast and they've got videos on YouTube. And for me, having grown up in the church, and having been a Christian for a long time, I feel like I've never read the Bible, having listened to these guys. Because <laughs> they unveil some of the themes and the way the Bible connects in such an exciting way. And this is really key to our relationship with each other as well. This is an incredible story. It's our heritage, our story as a family. See where we've come from and what God has been doing. So maybe choose a letter from the New Testament and read it. Read it again. Read it in a different translation. Listen to it. Read it with other people. Join a connect group and make sure you go regularly and talk about the Bible. Ask questions. There's lots that doesn't seem to make sense. But meditate on it. And don't worry about understanding it. So, if anything I've said this morning strikes you, if you do feel like you struggle to experience God as a father or a loving parent, or connect with Jesus as a big brother that loves you, wants to help you. And I just encourage you to come forward for prayer. And if you recognise this morning that you need his grace and his forgiveness and his healing and you'd like to be adopted into God's family today, then just pray this with me now. Heavenly Father, I give my life to you. Save me. Forgive me all of my sins and make me new. Adopt me into your family and wipe away my failures. Fill me with your spirit so that I can know you and serve you and follow you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. I give it to you. Thank you for my new life. In Jesus' name I pray. So come on, let's lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And let's think of ways to motivate and provoke each other. Let's live on purpose for God's purpose.